Hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. I'm Art Regner. This is episode 66, and our guest is the director of scouting for TSN. No stranger to this program, uh, Craig Button, uh, former NHL general manager, former director of scouting. Uh, he has done it, seen it all, a complete life in hockey, and uh, the foremost authority on the NHL draft, of course, coming up this weekend in Dallas. And the Red Wings have, at this point, the number six pick overall and the number 30th pick on Friday. They have actually Actually, eight picks in the top 98. So uh, uh, Red Wings should be busy, and uh, let's bring Craig in and find out what he thinks uh, the uh, the Wings might be doing. Craig, thanks for doing this. Always a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, my pleasure to join you, Art. It's always uh, always a thrill to start talking about the young players and certainly the future of the NHL and of the Red Wings. Well. Last year, when when I had you on about a week before the draft and, and talked to you, I said that 2017 was considered to be a down year. And you immediately said, you don't consider any year of the draft to be down. And so I, I was wondering if you can kind of explain maybe your overall philosophy about the NHL draft. And even though some years, because this year is supposed to be a very deep draft, and 2019 looks like it could be, but in a way... You kind of believe that virtually every draft is pretty deep. Yeah, I do. And, you know, it might be certain drafts have more uh, what I would call is identifiable talent, and, and it usually gets defined at the upper end of the draft. But, you know, and, and all that means is, is that uh, in other drafts, you've you got to be a little bit more patient. you got to let the players grow and physically mature and, you know, figure out, you know, not only where they're headed with their games, but also the, the opportunity to physically mature. And every draft has its own unique DNA. And, you know, it's this draft class, it's this group of players. And, you know, there's going to be good defensemen come out of this draft. There's going to be some good centermen. There's going to be some goaltenders that end up playing. And there's going to be some good wingers. But, you know, so much of the time, Art, the draft gets defined by the upper end of it. So when a Connor McDavid or an Austin Matthews or a Jack Eichel comes along, we kind of say, oh, that's a great draft. Well, it, it is at the top end. But when we look back in time, and there might not be any greater example right now than the, than the 2015 draft. So you have McDavid go one, you have uh, Jack Eichel go number two. Well, now go back and look at that draft. Kyle Connor has turned out to be, the 17th pick has turned out to be a terrific player for the Winnipeg Jets. Brock Besser, who was picked by the Vancouver Canucks, I believe 23rd. Right. I mean, he's turned out to be a terrific player, one of the finalists for the Rookie of the Year. Matt Barzell goes 16. He's going to be the Rookie of the Year in the NHL. So I'm talking about a winger, a winger, a centerman. You know, we look at what Zach Lorensky did at the, at the, as, as, as a pick in that draft and coming out of the University of Michigan. So... You know what? Might have taken a, a, a little bit longer. They might not have the same pedigree as Connor McDavid or Jack Eichel. Those are really, really good players and important players for their respective teams. Uh, yeah, it's interesting you would bring that up because I try to preach patience to Red Wing fans because certainly they just want to see you know Michael Rasmussen uh, make the team and be an All Star, but. I guess it's human nature and fan nature that the most difficult thing for the uh, for the fan is to be patient because maybe you know certainly I'm at fault at times about this because we blow these kids up so much. Well, I, I don't know. Like I mean, we get excited about the players and we talk about potential, and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I just think you have to be realistic about it. You have to be realistic about ultimately what is their potential. 
potential? And, and number two, what is the time frame from that for them achieving that potential? And, you know, you have to understand those two things to really be able to help it along. Because if you, if, if you feel a player's potential is greater than, than he has, you're going to be disappointed in that player. And at the same time, if you don't think he's progressing at, at a rate that's on your timetable instead of on his natural timetable, you're going to be disappointed. So now you, you have this conflict and you have this friction that just doesn't work. And you got, you got to manage that. But, you know, Michael Rasmussen last year, the ninth overall pick, you know, really good, rangy, smart goal scorer. And, and, he, done, and he had the challenges with the hand this year. He had a couple of challenges again with injuries. But I'll tell you what, his last third of the season, his last, you know, half of the season, he was tremendous. I mean, in the playoffs, what he did for the Tri-City team in the Western Hockey League, I mean, he was a dominant player. And that's what you want to see players do. You want to see them master the level they're at before they're trying to take on the task of trying to be good at the next level. And certainly Michael did exactly that. And I think there's every reason for Red Wings fans to be excited about where he's headed. Because he looks like a player now, and I'm not trying to get ahead of myself, that might very well be able to come in and, and maybe challenge for a position on the Red Wings this coming fall. Right, I, I think the Red Wings are hoping that he does. I think deep down, I, uh, I, I think they're, they're, they they hope that he can actually make the team. They're going to pencil him in uh, at this point. I, I talking to a few people in the organization, maybe third line at left wing and let him kind of much like Dylan Larkin had to do his first season in the NHL. Instead of giving him a, the center um, uh, duties and learning that position, which is a little bit more difficult uh, than, than a winger at, at the NHL level, that, that you know, hopefully he can come in. And I think the thing that it's impressive about him, Craig, and um, I don't want to jump off because I do want to focus in on the upcoming draft, but the Red Wings said last year the thing that really sold them on Michael Rasmussen was his interview process and the maturity and seriousness, how he wants to be the very best player that he can be at the NHL level. And I've talked to him and have gotten to know him a little bit too, and it is astounding. You know, I, you know, I, I don't want to reveal my age, but I'm, I don't think I'm as mature as Michael Rasmussen at this point. I mean, he is exceptional, and I, I, I very rarely do I see a player, I know they all want it, but a player player that not only wants it, but is focused to actually do whatever it takes to get there. Well, I mean, these young players and, you know, sports and specifically hockey, you know, requires you to make sacrifices in, in, the, in those teenage years where there's a, a lot going on in your life. You're, you're, you're maturing socially, you're maturing physically, and the sacrifices you're making to, to, to be dedicated towards achieving something that's a very worthwhile goal is very impressive. And, and I think that that you see that now with the players at a younger age because they understand training, they understand nutrition, and they understand that the path to, to achieving those goals requires that. And I think they understand, I talk about teams understanding, you know, what the process is in terms of, uh, you know, the time frame, you know, where they're at physically. It's also important for the player to understand that because an impatient player starts to work against himself as well. So when you talk about the interview process, I think it becomes incredibly important to have that exchange between player, potential player, and between the team to understand how we're going to work at this together with this understanding. And I think the Red Wings feel exactly that about Michael Rasmussen. 
Yeah, they well, they certainly do. I, I want to jump ahead. I know we've talked about it. I know you said that you know maybe some drafts uh, they're all fairly deep, and some drafts you may have to be patient than than in other drafts. With the 2018 draft, what's kind of an overview? Is it deep? How do you see it? Do you think that this could produce maybe uh, more NHL level players earlier than some drafts? Or uh, again, do are, should we practice patience? Well, I think, I think patience has to be practiced, certainly. You, you know, when I look at this draft real quickly, you know, Rasmus Dahlin, Andrei Svechnikov, and Philip Zadina, I, I think they're capable of playing in the National Hockey League next year. And I, I think of, of being part of a team and helping a team be successful, I think that they can do that. I don't think there's many other players that are that are ready to do that. I mean, Evan Bouchard, Brady Kachuk, you know, because they're a little bit older, they might be able to, to be in consideration. But after that, I mean, I allow for surprises. But I don't see, you know, anybody else really able to step in and, Make a, what I would call a meaningful contribution to their to their team next year. Outside of those uh, initial guys that I mentioned. Now that being said, you know, you know Rasmus Dahlin. We all know that he's uh, he's the prize of this year's uh, draft, and he's going to be the first pick by Buffalo. He's an elite franchise defining defenseman. That after that, Andre Svechnikov, who I think has really established himself as the second best player in this draft. Now this is where it gets interesting, Art. Because I think, I don't think the difference between the next eight guys is very significant. And I think what I call it a smorgasbord of talent, <laughs> a smorgasbord for teams to say, what do we want? So you, you, you can look at Brady Kachuk and Philip Sedina and say, boy, those are really good wingers. And they are, but they're different wingers. Brady with more of a power game, Philip that's a really well rounded offensive player. Then you go to the defenseman. And you got Quinn Hughes, an elite skating defenseman. You got Noah Dawson, Evan Bouchard, really good, strong uh, two-way defenseman with with offensive abilities, right shots, which are really good. Adam Boltvist, a dynamic offensive defenseman. Then you got a couple of centers, and yes, Barry Kotkaniemi and uh, Barrett Hayton, and teams are looking for centers. And then you, to me, you finish it off with Oliver Wallstrom, who, in my view, is the best goal scorer in this in this draft. You know, that's a pretty good group of players, and I, I don't think one clearly separates himself from the other. And I think for teams, it affords them that ability to say, you know what, we want the, we want a goal scorer, we want a center, we want this type of a defenseman. I really don't see much of a difference between that group of players. So I think for those teams picking in that area, I think it becomes very interesting. I'm not going to be – I don't know exactly what the order is going to be. I'll be very surprised if there's players outside of that group that find their way into the top ten. Well, I have heard all kinds of things, and you know this time of year how, how, how the game is played, so to speak, is that this could be just a wild draft. If, if, if Montreal decides that maybe they want to trade their pick or there could be so, so many surprises, and there's a theory going around, and Craig, I, I don't know if I buy into this, but I, I really want to hear what you think of it, is that even though it was extraordinary circumstances, if you really study it, but the success of the Las Vegas, or, or pardon me, the Vegas Golden Knights have been, was so over the top 
that there seems to be pressure where some teams that were conservative at one point, that teams this year are going in freewheeling, that they're more, more than willing to listen. I mean, I can't tell you how many people have told me, you know, off the record that the Red Wings are desperately trying to trade up and seeing if they could get Zadina or maybe Bouchard. Uh, uh, that seems to be the two players that they covet the most. But have you heard anything, or do you think that once we get to Dallas, it's going to settle down and pretty much at least in the top, 10 or so going to go pretty much in the order that it is already? You know, I, I, I don't know. Again, I don't know about the order. I, I, I think teams are always exploring different opportunities at the draft. And, you know, I, I think there's a, there should be a cautionary tale when you look at the Vegas Gold Knights. It, it, it's a wonderful story. It's a wonderful uh, near championship, near Cinderella ending for the Vegas Gold Knights. That being said, they started with a blank slate. They started with no salary cap commitments. They started with no uh, players that they had drafted that you know they felt obligated to. So really, it was it was a blank canvas for George McPhee to work with. Teams don't have those that opportunity, and now the Vegas Golden Knights don't have that opportunity any longer. So you know, if, if you're trying to recreate what the Vegas Golden Knights did last year, understand that you're doing it in a very different environment and a very different climate. And again, I hear this lot, Art, and, mm-hmm. and it's one of the things that I think it's it's one of those terms that you better be careful. With. Oh, are they in a win now mode? Really? Well, were the Washington Capitals in a win-now mode this year? They were in a win-now mode two years ago and last year, and they didn't win. I think you have to be very realistic about where your teams fit. So winning, what does winning now mean? Does it mean trying to get yourself in a position to make the playoffs? Does it mean trying to get yourself in a position to go deeper in the playoffs? Does it mean trying to compete for a Stanley Cup? Because those are very different scenarios and very distinct groups of teams that fall into there. So again, uh, teams might think that they can do what the Vegas Golden Knights did. Okay, that's great. Understand that your circumstances for achieving that are entirely different than what the Vegas Golden Knights are dealing with. So again, you look at how you end up being successful. Selecting the right players, the draft process is essential. Understanding what the process for development is. Having good development in place. Patience is such a key phrase because the vast majority of these players aren't coming to the NHL next year. It's not like football. And you have to keep that in mind. And, you know, one of the things that the Vegas Golden Knights were able to do was, you know, take, take advantage of really what I would call no expectations. So when you have no expectations... You can throw caution to the wind, and you can say, oh, yeah, well, we're going to take this chance, or, you know, if it turns out great, if it doesn't turn out, no big deal. When you're an established NHL team, uh, you don't get that same luxury. And I don't think the Vegas Golden Knights are going to have that same luxury this year. So, again, you try to go back to, to what are the fundamentals of building a team, and I think that's where you, you better stay uh, tried and true towards well, you know, it's interesting because, uh, you know, t- t- talking to several people, we think that maybe the one fan base that's going to have uh, uh, just unrealistic expectations is going to be the new Seattle team. Because certainly what happened with Vegas and what George McPhee was able to do, that is never going to be duplicated again. So uh, the, the fans in Seattle may think, well, geez, we could, sh- you know, we're going to have the same rules and all that. It's going to be the exactly the same uh, expansion draft. But really, when you look at it and you look at what George McPhee was able to do, it's going to be entirely different. Yeah, it, it 
it will be to a certain extent. And, and, and again, understanding what environment you're going to be dealing in and what your what your challenges and what your opportunities are going to be also comes into play. I mean, George, George read where the opportunities were, and, and he took advantage of them. You know, one thing, Art, I will say mm-hmm. is that you watch how teams construct their uh, the, the rosters, and then you see where bad contracts come in, and now teams are trying to look to shed it. George McPhee took advantage of that, and he, and he really maximized in a lot of different areas because of other teams' uh, woeful cap situations. And some weren't as woeful as others, but, you know, you have to consider that. I, I can guarantee you, and, and, I'll, and I'll say it right here on this day with certainty, the Seattle franchise will be dealing with some of the same scenarios where teams have put themselves in a, in a real bind, salary cap-wise, where they'll be looking to extricate themselves. And the, and the Seattle franchise will be more than happy to try to help those teams. <laughs> well, it, it, well, it'll be interesting. Supposedly, you know, it, it, it should be another expansion draft, not obviously this year, but maybe next season, uh, that will be, uh, uh, if NHL fans can enjoy the, that again. But uh, let's move to the Red Wings. You know, so- let me just add, let me just, sure. let me just add, can I just add one thing to that, too? Because I think it's sure. important to say for Red Wings fans. You know, last year during the expansion draft, you know, and, and George and his group were trying to maximize everything they could. And they were trying to find out what teams wanted. Well, they kept approaching the Detroit Red Wings, well, we're going to take this player. Well, Ken Holland said, well, you gotta, we're going to lose one player, so, you know, when we put in our protected list, uh, you'll know who's available, and we'll go from there. And they kept trying. And Ken said, he goes, we're going to lose a player. He goes, we're working through it. You'll get our protected list. <laughs> and he never, ever engaged with them because he said, we're going to lose a player. We, he knew he was going to lose a player. Those were the rules. You had to lose a player. But the Red Wings weren't in a salary cap bind, and they weren't going to kid themselves with trying to make a move to keep a player that might not be a difference maker. And I think that's significant. So while Thomas Noshik went to the Vegas Gold Knights and was a, was a contributor to their team, go and look at what the Minnesota Wild did. They gave up Hala and Took. Right. Look at what the Florida Panthers did. They gave up Marcia So and Morgan and, and Riley Smith. I mean, it's, it's, it's ludicrous to think that you're going to lose one player. I mean, the, the Columbus Blue Jackets lost William Carlson, a first-round pick, and a second-round pick. Like, you were only supposed to lose one player. Those teams that lost multiple players and picks, I mean, trust me. Those are going to be teams like that that are in things. So Detroit was not in that position. So that's significant in terms of going forward as well. Well, yeah, no, that's a that, that's a great point. And uh, and I, I I you know thinking about it, you're right. I mean, I I knew that uh, Nosik was a guy that uh, that the Red Wings were encouraged by and thought that he was probably going to make the fourth line next year, along with uh, or last season, along with Tyler Bertuzzi. You know, the the, the old pencil in thing. But uh, when he was gone, and then of course you know the big thing was Peter Mrazek being left unprotected. And then the Red Wings eventually trading him to Philadelphia during the season. Uh, looking at the Red Wings and what they're going through, they have a lot of draft picks. They have 11 again. They have eight in the top 98. Uh, it's uh, it's certainly they have four in the top. I believe it's 36. I believe um, that uh, so th- they they've got their uh, a, a lot of things. Two in the first round, number six and number 30 overall. Uh, talking to everybody in the organization, the Red Wings have been adamant they need to add offense to their game. 
game. They need to improve their power play. So even though they want to shore up their blue line, they're not necessarily looking for a stay-at-home defenseman. Uh, they're actually looking for a defenseman that are offensively gifted and that can run a power play. I know they're high on, uh, on Philip Ronick, who had a great year in the AHL, and they expect him hopefully to make the team. But when you look at the Red Wings, how do you dissect them? Where do you think their needs are, and how do you see them maybe approaching uh, this upcoming draft? Well, you know, I'll, I'll, so Philip Roenick had a really good year in Grand Rapids. Right. And so did Dennis Chalowski have a really good year, starting out in Prince George and ending up down in Portland. He, he had a fantastic year and a, and a great skating defenseman. And, you know, I think, again, like, you know, you look back, I mean, here's a young guy, Chalowski, who grew so much leading into his draft here, ends up being a first-round draft pick. He, he is just such a, a young player, and he's maturing and getting better. So when you start to consider, along with Michael Rasmussen, some players that I think can be impactful, you watch Dylan Larkin, what he did this year, I mean, that's really, really positive. But right. when you start to look at, at when you have the sixth pick, you have the 30th pick, you have, as you point out, all those picks in the top 98, you know, when you go in with a philosophy, it's really, really hard to find skill. It's really, really hard to get offensive players. And if, you, if you're trying to trade for them, the price becomes very high. So all things being equal, if I'm looking at the draft, I'm looking for players that have that offensive potential. I really believe, Art, that I can find third and fourth line players. Mm-hmm. I find I can, I can get players that are checkers or energy players or catalyst players. I want players that can make plays, that can think. And, yes, the power play becomes important, and there's some players that fit that bill, but also players that skate well and can get the puck out of your own zone from a defensive standpoint. Players that might not be, you know, at, at a level of, of maturity where they can really show you what their offensive skills are, what they could be, but you watch them and you go, boy, those players have a lot of, lot of ability going forward. And so with these picks, we're going to take a chance on that. And I don't think that the certainty of having a player that you say, oh, well, you know what, he's going to be a checker, but we know he'll play – over the uncertainty of a player that you go, well, he's really offensive, we're not sure we're going to play, I'm going to take my chances on the offensive guy. I'm going to take my chances on the skilled guy. And I think that that's where you can really maximize uh, your organization and maximize your talents. Because I think the draft affords you uh, that unique opportunity in this class to say, that player, that player, that player fits what we're looking for. Like, like Philip Ronick was never a big player. He was never a big guy. Right. But when you start to when you when you watch him, and now you see him play, and he's matured, that's pretty impressive to me. What, what he's capable of doing. And so again, patience. Understand where you're at, and then go from there. Well, it. it, it one thing that, you know, again, I don't know if uh, there seems to be a general feeling that the Red Wings have enough smallish defensemen and that they should look at, uh, uh, you know, certainly uh, Noah Dobson or Evan Bouchard, which quote unquote are trees, they're, they're tall defensemen, but how much is size a factor in today's game, Craig? Uh, you know, l- l- listen, all things being equal, you-, you want the bigger player over the smaller player. I mean, that's just, th- th- that's just reality. Unfortunately, Art, rarely are things always equal. So what are the, what are the qualities 
what are the qualities that you need to have to be a good, successful NHL player? You need to be able to skate. You need to be able to think. You need to be able to make a play with the puck. That doesn't always necessarily mean that that play with the puck has to translate into offense, but if you're a, if you're a defenseman, you got to get to a puck. you got to move it up the ice. you got to be smart in transition. you got to get it into the forward's hand. If you're a scorer, you got to get yourself in position to score. Those are the things I look for. Those are the things that I'm assessing in players. And then after I get comfortable with those skill attributes and where a player can, can be successful with, with a skill set, then I start to look at the height and weight. And then I say, okay, that guy's a little bit bigger and he's just as skilled while I'll take the bigger guy. But when it comes down to size, I, 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 I use this term all the time. I don't scout with a tape measure. There is an unbelievable player playing at the uh, USA National Team Development Program, Cole Caulfield. I think he's 5'6". All I see is when I watch him play is this unbelievable goal scorer. He scored 50 goals as an under-17 player this year playing for that team. Alex DeBrincat was a second-round draft pick. He had 28 goals as a rookie in the National Hockey League, three consecutive 50-goal seasons. It's criminal that he didn't get drafted in the first round. But that's where people started to get worried. Oh, look at his height. Well, who cares about his height? Why don't you watch his goal scoring? Because that's what you're doing. It's not basketball where you got to defend the hoop. Right. It's about what skills do you have? So to me, I don't. I don't. I don't like it, it, it. It's the factor that I look at long after I've assessed, I've assessed the skill attribute. Long after. Well, I, I, you, know, you, you know, every time I talk to you, Craig, you just like, like my mind is going 100 miles an hour. There's so many things that I want to ask you, and I know we have you, especially this time of year, just for a limited time. But one final question. The Red Wings really would like to shore up their blue line for sure. And and I, maybe this is true with a lot of NHL teams, but they really look at the center position, and they would like to shore that up too. Yet, if there is one knock against so far from things that I've read about the 2018 draft, is that maybe it's a little thin in the center position. Do you buy into that? Well, what I would say is maybe thin in, in, in what you would call obvious players that you go, okay, that guy's for certain going to play. So again, and I'm just going to relay a story, I think, and it's a Detroit Red Wings story, and, and, and this will apply to my assessment and to answering your question. Darren Helm was drafted by the, uh, by the Detroit Red Wings. After he was drafted, he was a very successful offensive player in the Western Hockey League. And I asked Jim Neal years after, I said, when you drafted Darren Helm, did you think that he was going to be a real significant offensive player? And he said, we thought that he had about a 10 to 20% chance to take his game uh, to, to an offensive level like he had in junior in the NHL. But we felt that he had an 80% chance to have a game like Chris Draper. Great speed, use it penalty killing, be disruptive, and, and, and get opportunities but not be a great finisher. And we know what Darren Helm is, what he became. And I think that Jim Nill... Is it, is that description of Darren Helm is how you have to look at players. Don't, if you look at a player and say, okay, we think that he's got the ability to be a second-line center and play in this spot, and that, that those probabilities, if you do it, might be 65%, and we think that it's a 35% chance that he's a third-line center, maybe not as much offense, I think that's what you have to do with these players. And, and, and then you assess where their, where their skills are at. So you, you, you look at a player, and I'm just, gonna, I'm just taking a player's name, Cameron Hillis. He okay. plays in, in Guelph. 
He's five foot nine. He is a really smart hockey player. He's got excellent hands. He can make plays. He's competitive. He wants the puck. He's hungry for the puck. He doesn't get pushed out of the game. So now you're watching that player and you're saying, geez, he's been a pretty productive player in junior. He looks like he's got all the qualities you want in a, in a centerman. Is he a number one? I don't think he is. But could he be a number two? Yes, I think he can. So now you sit down and you talk about him vis-a-vis some other players. He's not going to be a first-round draft pick, but there's a centerman that fits the bill of an offensive player. You look at a, uh, you look at a player, and, and I'm going to add another name here. You look at a player like uh, David Gustafson. He's a Swedish player who's hard and heavy and really competitive and really, you know he's going to be a, a, got the capability of third-line center. His chances of being a second-line center probably aren't as great in creating offense. But you try to factor it in with what else is available and understand what you're getting. So I think that there are centers there. It's just that you're going to have to do that projection uh, part of it, and you're going to have to really believe that these players have the opportunity to get better. Those are just two players that I mentioned at, at, at centers. And there's others, but I think that's the process you have to go through. Well, Craig, with I know, as I said, and I keep saying we have a limited time, but I want to uh, go through and get your assessment. Although we have talked about some players, but just uh, uh, Button's take on a few uh, on a few players that I, you know, I've looked at like twenty three mock drafts, and uh, certain players just keep cropping up. So I'll, I'll go with maybe some of the defensive prospects first, and then some forwards, and and then I'll ask you a, a few final uh, questions, and uh, we'll uh, put this podcast to bed, so to speak, because I know next Monday we're going to be doing another one where we will assess what the Red Wings did. Uh, we will have actual names and draft picks and, and we'll talk about them. But uh, uh, let's go first. I mean, I guess we could talk a little bit about Rasmus Dahlin, but um, something cataclysmic would have to happen, meaning that the draft would have to be cancelled or something for Buffalo not to take him number one. Well, two things would have to happen for him not to go number one. Rasmus Dahlin would announce his sudden retirement from hockey and that he, he, wants to, he wants to take up being a Buddhist monk. That's one scenario. The other scenario is if, is if the uh, Buffalo Sabres lose all sense of their minds and decide that they don't want Rasmus Dahlin. So I would, I would suggest that at this point in time, Mark, that those uh, probabilities are as close to zero as, as zero can be. So... He's an elite franchise defining defenseman, and you know what? He is the prize of this year's draft. Right. I so, you know, no no offense, Rasmus. We we're not going to spend much time on you. Although, trust me, uh, all of Detroit is pining for you, but it's never going to happen. Although they will see you at least four <laughs> four times a, a year, if not five, depending on how the schedule works out, because you're in the same division. Uh, actually, it's really odd. I mean, if you look at it, um, I, I think. In the top six, four teams that are drafting in the top six are from the Atlantic Division. So Red Wing fans, are, whether they get this certain player or not, they're going to see some of the top-end talent uh, play quite often uh, against the Red Wings. Let's, uh, let's start with a guy that I guess I think would be the defenseman that they would want simply because if size is a factor, and that is Evan Bouchard from uh, from London. 87 points, has, uh, uh, according to Chris Draper, has a weapon of a shot. Uh, your assessment of uh, Evan Bouchard? Well, you know who he reminds me of? He reminds me of uh, former wing and Hall of Famer Larry Murphy. Really? Uh, he just... He, he just gets out and he plays. He, he, he makes the plays 
defensive zone. He makes the plays in transition. He makes the plays in the offensive zone. You know, when you're in the offensive zone, you have to be able to make plays to create offense, you know, through sticks, under under sticks, through skates, and, and really understand where the opportunities are. Evan Bouchard has all those qualities. His shot gets through, his passes are precise, his vision is outstanding. So if you get yourself open as an offensive player, he is going to find a way to get the puck to you. And, you know, it's just, it, 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 what it, he, he plays, he's not a relaxed player, but he plays a relaxed style of the game. It just seems that he's, he goes right at the pace that's just a notch above uh, the rest of the game. He's so smart. He's so economical in terms of understanding what he has to do. I don't know how you measure mental effort, but I'll tell you what. He doesn't waste a lot of physical effort doing things that are unnecessary. I, I, I really do think he's a terrific player. Uh, when we look at uh, Noah Dobson again, uh, you know, just won the Memorial Cup. Uh, he fits the bill because again, he is uh, over six feet, six two and a half, almost six three. Uh, a player that is intriguing, yet he doesn't seem to be mentioned quite as much as as Evan Bouchard. Yet when you ask people about him, they're very impressed with his play. Well, they should be impressed with his play. He 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 he's a he's a fully complete three-zone player. And, you, you know, I, I'm not so sure that Evan is going to be, not, excuse me, Noah, is going to be as prolific offensively as Evan. But I do believe that he's going to contribute points in, 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 in a really important fashion. But he's going to kill penalties. And he's going to make sure that when he has the puck on a stick in the defensive zone, it's coming out quickly and it's coming out cleanly. And, you know, to create offense, the first thing you have to be able to do is make sure you're not spending time in your defensive zone. That's where teams run into a lot of problems. You know, you can say that they don't have offense or they didn't score, but usually you can trace it back to being able uh, to, to not, 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 not being able, rather, to get out of your own zone. Noah is very good that way. He's smart. He knows how to take the opponents off the puck. He knows how to get himself in good position to take advantage. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't try to force plays. He seems to know exactly what play has to be made. And, and there's just this uh, real, real efficiency to his game. One of those players, when he, at the end of the night, you go, he played 27 minutes? Well, he played 28 minutes? Wow. How did he do that? Well, he does it because he's really smart, and he really understands how the game needs to be played at any given moment. And I think he's got a lot of growth ahead of him, too. What, what he did from last year to this year, I, and obviously I don't think he can make that same jump. Those are significant jumps. But if he... He continues to improve like he did. We're talking about a top pair defenseman that can have a real impact for a team. When you look at a guy on the small side, and and again, very mixed reports. I mean, people like his play, but they don't seem to be as effusive, maybe, with their praise. And and that is Adam Boquist, uh, who I saw play in the uh, Five Nations tournament. Uh, you know, five ten and three quarters, almost five foot eleven. In some mock, mock drafts, they they actually have the Red Wings taking him. Uh, your assessment of Adam? He is a dynamic offensive defenseman, and when he puts those skills on display, it, it really is something special. You know, the, the the style of game that Eric Carlson plays, and certainly Adam, you know, idolizes Eric Carlson, and you know he has some similar attributes. I, I think the biggest thing for Adam, and you you talked about Michael Rasmussen in the interview process, mm -hmm. 
I think that's a big part. I think that's a big part with Adam. I, I, I thought Adam over the course of this year had a lot of what I would call disinterested moments. Unfortunately, when you're trying to play in the National Hockey League, there is no time for disinterested moments. There are situations that are uncomfortable, but you have to get invested in them and you have to dig in on them. And to me, Adam Volkswitz, at playing attitude, has to get a lot better. He, he's more than capable, but if you're going to just bypass this play just because you didn't feel like doing it, or you're just going to bypass that play all because I don't feel like doing it, that's not going to endear you to coaches. It's not going to endear you to teammates. And it's going to hinder your own abilities and your areas of strength. So this is a perfect example of a player that's got lots of potential, but spending time with him, hearing how he wanted to talk about it and, and how he went through the year, I think is incredibly important. I had somebody tell me, they said, well, you got to understand the game was easy for Adam a lot of times. I said, let me just tell you this. I watched Connor McDavid play in junior the game was easy for him, too. He played every shift all the time with, with a real urgency and a real determination. But don't tell me that it's easy and that's an excuse for not taking things seriously. That's an area that I think is developmental. But when you're trying to choose between players, this is where uh, the interview process and getting to know a player and understand a player comes, into, uh, comes really into full focus. Uh, the next player I want to talk about, somebody who is really uh, uh, actually uh, ascending up the, uh, the mock draft rankings and somebody that, you know, again, uh, many mock drafts have them taking, uh, the Red Wings taking him. He has already a built-in fan base over at the University of Michigan, and that is Quinn Hughes from everything. Jeff Blaschel at the Worlds loved him. Uh, uh, Nick Jensen, who played with him, some shifts, had loved him. I mean, here's a guy, obviously not, not the biggest guy on, on the planet, uh, five foot nine. but when you talk about skating ability, and, uh, Quinn Hughes, a lot of people high on him, Craig. They should be high on him. You know, it's interesting, and I think for defensemen, too, one of the other areas I watch for players, you know, as you're watching them play and you see the skills and then you try to break it down, one of the things that I think that defensemen, it's a real necessity, whether you're six foot four or you're five foot nine, you have to be able to have leverage in terms of being able to defend and also in terms of being able to gain a leverage to, to, to take a player off the puck or to get a to gain a, a corner and to get an edge so you can move the puck up and out of the ice and, and get out of pressure situation. I think Quinn does that exceptionally well. I think he has the leverage to defend. I think he has the leverage to be able to beat pressure and to get the puck moving up the ice. I really think that the NHL game will suit Quinn Hughes to a, to, to a great extent because he's so smart. And you've got to keep in mind, when players are playing at lower levels, they're, they're the best players, and that's what you're looking to draft. But when you're playing at lower levels, a lot of times they pick up their head and they know what play they want to make. But one of their teammates isn't good enough to be in the spot or isn't good enough to take the pass. And, and, and so now that defenseman might be forced to hold on to the puck a little bit longer because you don't want to just throw it into a blind area. Now you may be forced into making a play that isn't as ideal. As you move up the ranks, and I, I certainly saw this with Quinn at the World Championships, is that now when he gets his head up, that guy's right there. And now that puck comes out. Now you're moving. Now you're quick. Now you're taking advantage of opportunities. And I think that that's where I look at Quinn and go, that translates to the NHL. Because his thinking uh, process is, is outstanding. And at times he will say, oh, he holds on to the puck. 
Well, you can say he holds on to the puck, but a lot of times he's holding on to the puck because, number one, he doesn't want to give it away, because, number two, there's not a play to be made, and it's because the player didn't get open or the player didn't understand what he was trying to do. If you're playing with the best players, the smartest players, which is what the NHL is about, that translates, and I think Quinn's got a chance to be a terrific, terrific real go-to defenseman. Yeah, if the Red Wings, I'm, I'm going to skip because we are running out of time. I, I'm, I'm going to skip with the uh, with any more defensemen, unless there's another defenseman that you think could be high on the Red Wings' radar. I don't think they're going to take a flyer with the number six pick, but uh, somebody else that, that we haven't talked about. Yeah, no, I don't. There's no defenseman there that, that you're going to take a flyer on, not a right. six. I mean, you're you, you, you know, where you where you go and look now, they look at 30 now and see, okay, what type of a player? Like, and I'll just give you a quick example. So they don't take, let's just say for an example, Art, yep. they don't take Adam Bocas, who's an offensive. Well, they might look at, a, at another Swedish defenseman by the name of Nils Lundqvist. He's a right shot defenseman who played in the Swedish Hockey League this year as a 17-year-old and played really, really well. So, you know, there's a right shot defenseman that you might say, well, we get the bigger guy here and we get him there. You know, we, we cover off both angles. So when you talk about using the draft throughout to evaluate what you can do, that's just an example of how you can, how you can do that. When let's let's go to the forwards. I, I you know it, it you know I, even though I know they covered Zadina, he's probably not going to be there. But uh, but he seems to fit the bill. What exactly the Red Wings would like an offensive dynamic weapon. That's what he is, and he, he's and, and you know he can score and he can make plays and, he, and he's dangerous and he's not just dangerous in one spot. Art top of the circles inside the dots. That's where, he, that's where he's dangerous. If you don't play on the inside of what I call the guts of the action, you, you better have some exceptional abilities. There's, you're not beating goaltenders from 45 feet for the most part. Zadini gets in there. He can score from the right side. He can score from distance. He can score in tight. He also can make plays, and he's exceptionally smart. He reads the play. He gets himself unchecked. He gets himself open at the right times, and he knows where those offensive opportunities lay. And I talked about it earlier. He's a player that I think can play in the National Hockey League next year. Um, Andre Shvechnikov, Evgeny's brother. The Red Wings already have him in the system. Certainly it appears Carolina is going to take him. Uh, but, again, this kid is uh, certainly uh, a prolific uh, goal scorer in his own right. Absolutely he is. The player he reminds me of, and he's reminding me of this player for well over 18 months now, he reminds me of former Red Wing Marion Hosa. He, he has that style of game. He's powerful. He's big. If he doesn't have the puck, he hunts the puck. He, he, he's a player that can score with a shot. He can score in tight. And, and he's, he's, he's got that uh, willingness to just hold the puck. You want to try to get it for me? Come on. Good luck. And you just wait. Wait till he becomes 20 and 21 years of age. He is going to be a horse. And looking at Brady Kachuk, who might be a horse already, I mean, I've seen him play several times. He seems to be a guy that, on the big stage, he seems to elevate his game, at least in international competition. Yeah, why do you want that? Why do you want a guy that elevates his game? Who wants that? (laughs) (laughs) You know, Brady, Brady is, one of the things about Brady, and I've watched him for a long time, I keep hearing about his intangibles. Okay, they're good. 
I know he's got an edge. I know he gets under your opponent's skin. I know he's competitive and hard-nosed, right? His tangibles are really, really good. He, his skating is good. With physical maturity and strength, it's only going to get that much better. He's got excellent hands. He makes plays. We talk about making plays in tight, around the net, and in traffic and everything. Exactly what he does. Exceptional hockey set. He understands what play needs to be made anywhere on the ice. And it could be a hit. It could be a poke check. It could be a pass. It could be a goal. He understands those situations in the game. He is that player that, 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 that gets the temperature of the game. And he understands at any moment in time, this is what I can do and this is what I am going to do. And then you add in the other factor. He makes life completely uncomfortable with his skills, tangibles, and his intangibles for opponents. It is zero fun to play against him. Those are guys you want on your team. Another forward that uh, seems to uh, looks uh, appealing to uh, some as far as mock drafts go in the Red Wings taking is Barrett Hayden. Well, I'll tell you who Barrett reminds me of. And, 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 I'm, and again, when I use player types, I'm, I'm talking more about the style of game they play. I'm not saying they're going to be this player, but he reminds me of Patrice Bergeron. Whoa. And I go all the way back to scouting Patrice Bergeron. And when I watch Barrett, I, I, I see some of the same similarities in his game. And, you know, even when I hear about, oh, has Barrett got enough offensive upside? Well, it was the same thing you heard about Patrice Bergeron. And, you know, Patrice Bergeron is never going to be a leading scorer in the league or maybe even a leading scorer on his team. But when you watch the game and a player is in the right spot on the ice all the time, you start to go, boy, that player can make an impact. And that's exactly what Bergeron is. And to me, that's exactly what Barrett Hayden is. Uh, I think that he can be a 65-70 point guy on a consistent basis. But I think he's going to help you in so many different ways. And when we talk about Patrice Bergeron, we talk about an elite centerman. Right. He's won four Selkies. But, and I think Hayden has, has, has a similar style of game. So, you know, where do you find those guys? You don't. You, you, you have to draft them. And, you, and when, when you see them and, and you understand, again, I go back to that range. Okay, maybe, maybe you won't be an 85-point centerman. But I'll tell you what, I'll take, I'll take 65 points and 70 points and everything else he does, because those are big contributions in other areas of the game. Another player I know intrigues the Red Wings and has been mentioned as well is Oliver Wallstrom, and I know you said that you believe he might be the best pure goal scorer in the entire draft. Well, I, I think he is. I, I think he can beat you in, in, in three ways. He, he can beat you with, with the velocity of a shot, he can beat you with the quickness of his release, and he can beat you with accuracy. And, you know, goaltenders know where he's setting up, they know where it's coming from, and they still can't stop him. He is uh, he, he's a very, very gifted goal scorer. Mike Bossy used to get the puck off his stick exceptionally quick. Wallstrom does that. He, he shoots it with the power like Ovechkin does. And when you look at a, a player like Brock Besser who shoots with tremendous accuracy, that's what I see in Wallstrom. You get him with a good centerman, Wallstrom is going to be open. He's going to understand where those opportunities are, and he's going to make good on them. He, he gets lots of shots. He breaks down defenses because not only do you have to defend against him, but his shot is lively. So now goaltenders can't get a clean. Even if he doesn't beat them, they're fumbling to try to control it, and that creates other opportunities. So to me, he is the best goal scorer in this draft. 
And finally, a guy that I know the Red Wings have been, he's been on the Red Wings radar for a long time, but he is definitely moving up on everybody's rankings, and that is uh, uh, the Finnish center, uh, Jesperi Kakanemini, I believe is how he says his name. But uh, here's a guy that certainly uh, the Red Wings would t look at long and hard at number six, depending on how the draft falls. Well, you know, uh, I, I can only tell you this. Uh, you know, he reminds me of Kopitar. And, you know, he's a complete number one two-way centerman. He can do it all. Defense, offense, no fun playing against. He takes you off the puck. He takes you out of your space. He creates opportunities. He's workmanlike. And I think he's got tremendous growth in front of him. You know, if he can even come anywhere close to being what Kopitar is or Alexander Barkoff down in Florida, you're getting a good player. And, and I think that he is a good player. And I, I think watching him over the course of the last two years just improve. And as he improved and got strong he became more confident, and as he became more confident, he became more assertive, and as he became more assertive, he became more impactful. I don't know where you find sentiment like this. If you don't draft him, teams aren't giving him up, and I think that he's a terrific player. So we, we, we just went through defensemen, forward, sentiment, and that's what I mean about what I call the smorgasbord of talent right. available. You can really pick and choose and say, you know what, we, we want this player for this. And I think they're all important players that have very distinct and unique styles. So I think that becomes a factor as well. Craig, one final question before we let you go. Uh, what, what's your gut telling you? What do you think? I, I, I don't even have time to ask you about the number 30 pick. We'll wait till next Monday for that. But uh, 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 where do you think the Red Wings will go if everything holds true and they have the number six pick? Yeah, I, like I, I don't see Zadina being there. If they just sit at six, I don't see Zadina being there. Right. So, so I think it really comes down to to one of those three defensemen: Quinn Hughes, Noah Dawson, or uh, Evan Bouchard. And you know, I'd love to be able to tell you I think this guy's better than that guy, or that guy's better than that guy. I'll, I, I will say this. I don't think they can go wrong with any one of the three. I think that they all have the ability to be top pair defensemen in the National Hockey League. I don't know, again, I don't know where you find them, but that's where you have to draft them if you want to get those types of players. So, you know, that, that, that's where the, the good discussions and the good debates and the internal uh, ideas about what a player can be and what you prefer really come into play here for the draft. Now, I will say this, and you know, when we talk about the, the centerman and everything, I'm just going to jump ahead a little bit to the 30th pick. Okay. Because I, I'll just give I'll give you an example of a couple of players, like like, like Ty Delandria. To mm -hmm. me, is never going to be a number one center, but to me, he can be a number two or three center. So I just talked about Nils Lundqvist, who might fit a bill as, as, as a defenseman. You could take that type of uh, right shot defenseman. Well, Ty Delangri, if you don't want, if you really say, well, we want one of these centers here, but wait a sec, we can get a player like that, maybe not as good, but somebody that's really industrious, really competitive, really can play in a lot of different areas of the game, and you get one of those top pair defensemen, well, now you're looking at it, well, geez, that's not a bad trade-off there. And, and, and that's how I think you have to look as the draft goes on. You, you, you look at what, uh, in that area of the draft, what, what is potentially there that we could really take advantage of that can help us build out in all those key areas? So I mentioned Nils Lundqvist earlier, and I mentioned Ty DeLandry here, but I, and, and there's just, those are just two names. I'm just saying that's the type of thinking that I think not only goes into six, because you have to be considering 30 as well.
Right. No, I agree with you. I know that I know that Delandria is a, is a player that the Red Wings uh, ha are, are very high on as well. Craig Button, the director of uh, scouting for TSN. Craig, it's always a pleasure. I look forward to seeing you in Dallas. Thank you for so much for taking time out. You're the best, and I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Art, it is absolutely my pleasure to spend time with you, and that is always. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it, Craig.